uh, invite you to stand with me as we begin our service in the Word of God, recognizing, too, that right now Pastor Niles is preaching at LifeGate, and we're going to pray as we open the service. After I read from the Word, we'll pray for this service, and we'll pray also for LifeGate. I'm going to read our psalm passage for today, and I'm, we're in Psalm chapter 15. The Bible says, Lord, who may dwell in your sanctuary? Who may live on your holy hill? He, who, he whose walk is blameless and who does what is righteousness. It says, he who speaks the truth from his heart and has no slander on his tongue. Who does his neighbor no wrong and casts no slur on his fellow man. Who despises a vile man but honors those who fear the Lord. Who keeps his oath even when it hurts, who lends his money without usury and does, accept, and does not accept a bribe against the innocent. He who does these things will never be shaken. That's from Psalm chapter 15. Will you bow your heads with me as we pray this morning? Father God, we thank you for the opportunity to gather like this to lift up the name of Christ. Thank you for this church family. And we just pray for a blessing over our service as we as we come before you to hear from you, to respond to you, and to worship you, Lord. We thank you for everybody that made it here, for those who are still out on the road and making their way here. We pray for safety. And God, we pray for this time that it would be anointed and that, Lord, uh, as we worship together, you would do something powerful in our midst today. We also pray for LifeGate as their meeting as Pastor Niles is wrapping up his message, we pray for a powerful response, Lord, that people's hearts are truly engaged with you and responding to you. So we lift them to you now. Father, thank you for this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're starting a series. Pastor Russ and I are going to be sharing this series on the seven churches that are a part of uh, Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3. Uh, there are seven churches. These are very real churches, and, and we're going to be taking a look at them, and they are a wonderful study because one of the things that, that, that I want you to understand is these are not only churches for a specific time, but these are a, these are a set of churches that transcend time. You will see these churches. You will see the glimpses of these church, churches in 2019 in our own per current culture. Also, the other thing to keep in mind, you can also move these into an individual sense that we see these very events and things occurring in people's lives. And so we think it's going to be a powerful series that we're looking at. Would you turn in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. Chapter 2, Revelation chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. The Bible says to the angel of the church of Ephesus, write, These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they are apostles, and they are not, and have found them liars. And, verse 3, you have persevered and have patience and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. Verse 4, 
Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. But this you have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. I believe everybody enjoys receiving mail. <clears throat> and uh, mail especially that is from a real person. Uh, so often we check our mailboxes and we find what we call junk mail. This is mail from uh, all varieties of places, ads, flyers. Uh, in the political season, which we're beginning to enter into, we will get plenty of political ads and things like that. And we get uh, letters that say resident. Uh, those are letters that I oftentimes do not open. We also, very similar in our email. We can scan through the emails on a daily basis and <clears throat> very easily find those that are perhaps worth opening and those that we just simply don't need to bother with. Now for the next seven weeks, as I mentioned here, we're going to be opening real mail. It's a real letter every Sunday morning, and these are seven letters that Jesus wrote to seven churches, very real churches, authentic churches that you're going to read about in Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3. The book of Revelation is actually a letter in itself, obviously, and it was sent to these churches concerning the end of the age. Do not be frightened to read the book of the Revelation. It is a good book. It is a difficult book sometimes to understand, I grant you that. And sometimes you really have to work at it and sometimes probably you're going to have to ask some questions or find some reference material to help. But do not toss it aside, it is not junk mail. When we read Revelation, we walk into a world of, of, of angels and demons. We walk into a world of horses and lions, of dragons. Stunning imagery. And keep in mind what Revelation chapter 1 and verse 3 says, which simply says, Blessed is he who reads, and those who hear the word of this prophecy, and keep those things written, for the time is near. Blessing and warning do not tamper with the book. <clears throat> Take a look at the text. I want to just peel back some layers here just for a moment with us here. In the text in Revelation chapter 2 verse 1, the letter is addressed to the angel of the church, which literally means messengers in this case. And the text is referring uh, to the pastors of these churches here. There's a note of personal comfort here because the Bible says, I hold these messengers, I hold these people in my hand. And the word hold here is not just something that says, I'm going to hold on to your hand or I'm going to put my arm around your shoulder. It's a literally, we are being encased by the Lord himself, the Lord of the church. Seven golden lampstands represents the church itself. I draw your attention to Revelation chapter 1 and verse 12. And the Bible says, and I turned and I saw, I heard a voice that spoke to me. 
and on turning I saw the seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the seven lampstands stands one like the Son of Man. There is only one person who refers to himself as the Son of Man, and that's Jesus. Jesus always refers to himself as the Son of Man. Understand this, dear saints. <clears throat> Christ is in the midst of his church. Christ is here this morning. He didn't just walk in the door, take a peek around the corner and say, oh, nice crowd today, I'm going. He is with us. He is here. When we have Sunday school, he is with us. When we have VBS, he is with us. When we have Faith Club this Wednesday night, he is with us. When we have a staff meeting, when we have a, a, a Christian Ed meeting or anything like that, he is with us. He is interested in his church. And this should tell us how much he really loves his church. It's one thing that has puzzled me for a long, long period of time are those who say, I can do without the church. I know people who sit at home and flip on the TV and say, here's my church. Not so. That is wrong thinking. Matter of fact, it's unbiblical thinking. Very unbiblical. Listen to me, saints. He died for his church. The church is the only institution that Jesus created while he was on this planet. The church. And he, um, he, and he says, I'm in the midst of the church. Think of that right now. He's with us. He observed our singing. He observed the prayer time that was going on. He's observing this message. He's observing us as we sit here. He's watching us. He's listening to the thoughts that, that roll through our head and all of these things. He's with us. He is vitally interested in his church and he loves the church. He loves the church. In John's day, <clears throat> Ephesus was on the main cultural and trade center of the Roman Empire. It is also the center for one of the great wonders of the world, the Temple of Diana. This was a, this was a false cultic kind of god that was uh, uh, part of the worship of this uh, Diana cult type thing. Was, uh, it was factored in immorality of all sorts and uh, it was truly a pagan type of a religious um, belief that these people had. Acts chapter 19 gives us a little hint about, <clears throat> about uh, Ephesus. Paul went there, and there was just a handful of believers when Paul went there. And they had some questions. Paul spoke to them and, and clarified their questioning and everything like that. And then the Bible tells us, we can tell this from history, the Bible tells us he spent about two years there, and he established the church. And in a, as a part of that, establishing, establishing the church, these people were leaving their cultic background and this false and phony religion and coming to Christ. And they became a true factor in this community. This was a large community. And this church began to grow, and it became large. And they were followers of Christ. But guess what else happened? The people that were making these little idols, you know, 
these idols, these, uh, not coppersmiths, but uh, silversmiths, they were making these idols. He literally was putting them out of business. And so they organized themselves and they, there was a riot. The church created a riot. And they were after Paul and they wanted to run him out of town and all of these other things. This, this is a wonderful thing. I enjoy reading that part of the New Testament. The church created a riot. Would it be that God would help us to win communities to Christ and will close down the beer joints? My wife, amen that. I'm waiting, I'm waiting. <laughs> oh dear, surely you're not a customer base. <laughs> Just recalling a time when we, uh, uh, in, in a church where a genuine revival did break out, tremendous revival, tremendous move of God, and that's exactly what happened. The tavern started closing. There wasn't any business. God help us that the influence of Jesus Christ's church would be that kind of a factor in a community. It's interesting that a city full of pagan worship and immorality and all of these things, <clears throat> that would not necessarily be my choice to start a church, plant a church, or anything, but God grew the church there. And some of the estimates of historians place this church at several thousand people. Truly a strong church, a big church. As a matter of fact, Paul wrote an, a separate letter to this church called, simply called Ephesians. It had strong preachers. Paul was one of those preachers. Timothy was one. John, who wrote the Revelation, who, who I should say copied it from Jesus. Aquila and Priscilla, Apollos. These, these, are, these are powerful voices of the New Testament. And so it became a, a, a real lighthouse in the midst of this pagan uh, culture. So Jesus begins here in, in chapter 2 and verse 2 by commending the church for their diligent work. Work is the secret of success in a church. I know there's other things that are going to be involved, but I'll tell you what, somebody said it very well. It said, the more I work, the more success I experience. And there's truth to that. There's nothing wrong with work. Work is sacred. Work is sacred. Listen to what John chapter 9 and verse 4 says, the words of Jesus, as long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me, night is coming when no man shall be able to, what? Work. We have great workers here at Faith Community Church. Tremendous workers. But I'm going to tell you something. If we put a want ad, if we had a want ad section in our monthly newsletter, you will still find that we need workers for VBS. We need workers for Sunday school. We need workers for... Uh, kids church and, and faith club and all these. We need people who can visit shut-ins and make hospital calls and many other things. There's always a job to do. There's always something that we can accomplish that will be a blessing to God. Jesus commended them for their patience, for their perseverance. This means they were living godly lives in this pagan culture <clears throat> of, and this pagan community and the immorality that was surrounding them. 
even though there was persecution, they didn't give up. They didn't throw in the towel or anything out. They persevered. They stood up against the false teachers, the political correctness of compromise, all of these things here. No compromise with this church. And they were a great group of people. Paul said this to Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter uh, uh, 4 verse 16 and uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4 verse 2. He says this, be prepared to live for Christ in season and out of season. You know what that means? That means simply this, when it's really easy to live for God and when it's not so easy. I live for God whether the stock market went up or whether it went down. It doesn't really matter. I'm going to live for God. I'm going to live for God whether I got the raise at my job or I didn't get raised, or I got passed over for the promotion or I got it. I'm living for God. In season and out of season. Paul says that's, that's the life of the Christian. And he goes on and says, watch your life and your doctrine closely. Guard your life. Guard your doctrine. Persevere in them because if you do, you will both say, say both yourself and your hearers. Now, verse 4. Verse 4 is the verse that the letter to the Ephesians is known for. And here it is. Nevertheless, nevertheless, I have this against you. You have left your first love. Folks, allow that to sink in for a moment. Here's a church a church growing. Here's a church that prided itself in its correct doctrine, and, and rightfully so. Here's a church that said, we're not going to allow false teachers into this place. You're out. Here's a church that was diligent in working and serving in all of these things. But Jesus said, you have left your first love. What a stunning thing to say. You have left it. That means it was done on purpose. That means it wasn't, this just said fade away because of time. There was a purpose connected with this. And we substituted this and this and this and this for the genuine first love of Jesus. One of the things that these seven letters that were written by Jesus, John is the communicator, it causes you to just say, I need to examine this in my life. Where am I with my love for Christ? Is there things that I've substituted Maybe they're good things and probably religious things and all of these things. But ha has there been a substitution in my life? Is there a substitution in the life of the overall church for the genuine, fresh love for Jesus Christ? Basically, Jesus is saying this. He said, you know, you are decent people, hardworking, you persevere, you stand against evil, but you no longer love me. And you don't love each other like you did at the first. 
Ephesians did all of the right things, and yet love was lacking. Paul wrote a letter to the Ephesians, as I mentioned to you, and he closed it this way in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 24. Who love, he, I'm just pulling this right out of the, actually out of a context here, but it's not taking anything away from the meaning. It says, those who love our Lord Jesus and, love, and that love is undying. That's what he said to the church earlier. The words left your first love. It's, I gotta be honest, this, this thing shakes me. I mentioned this before, but I want to relate it again to the generations of people that we see in the church today. I'm a first generation Christian. Nobody else in my family was a believer, a follower of Christ, I'm first generation. Jonah's first generation. And I look back and I see a life-changing, a profound, powerful, life-changing experience. That's the outward that was seen, but it was generated and driven, literally, by the word of God and prayer. That's where it came from. That's how, that's, that, that was the motor, if you will that generated the outcome, what you saw on the outside. The engine was the word. The engine was prayer. Now, we pass along to the second generation. And the second generation must see the engine, not just the outward thing. You follow me here? This is very real. You, you don't have to go any further in your own family to see this. I pass along. My kids see me. They see my wife. And they see, oh, this is what a Christian looks like. But they must understand. They must, they must grasp this and hold on to this is the fact that the engine on that is prayer and the word of God. The third generation comes along and if those things have not been communicated clearly, accurately, demonstrated, all of this stuff, the third generation comes along and they say, I look at your life. You look like a Christian. But you know what the question is? But why should I live like that? Do you know why the question is asked? It's because they don't see the power that generated the change. They don't see it. You've got to roll this around in your head. They don't see it. It's not enough for me just to copy what mom and dad had, copy what my parents did. It has to be generated in my heart and in my spirit that drives the new life that's in me, the fresh love, the love of Christ. And so the third generation did not see the importance of prayer, the word, the Holy Spirit encounter. They saw a lifestyle that would somewhat match biblical standards, but they questioned it. I came across something this week that, actually I just put it into my notes Dan Erickson is a writer 
and he writes this little, uh, little paragraph and he says this, he calls it the seven stages of a cold for a married couple. The seven stages of a cold for a married couple. Here they are. First year of marriage. Husband says, honey, I'm worried about you. You've got a bad sniffle there. And I think I need to take you to the hospital for a complete checkup. Gonna run you through everything. I know the food's not that great, so I've arranged for Grubhub to deliver to you some really good stuff every meal. But you've gotta get over this. Second year. Listen, sweetheart, I don't like the sound of that cough. And so I called the doctor already, and he says I can get you in this afternoon. And uh, so just take it easy, rest in bed until, until 3.30, and then we're going to go to see the doctor. The third year. Honey, maybe you should lie down. I'll make supper. Do we have any canned soup in the house? The fourth year. Now look, dear, let's be sensible about this. After you fed the kids and washed the dishes, I think you should just go lie down. <laughs> the fifth year. Why don't you just take some aspirin? <laughs> the sixth year. Please gargle or do something instead of sitting there barking like a seal. I think I'll sleep on the couch tonight. There's one step to worse. The seventh year. Would you stop sneezing? What are you trying to do? Give me pneumonia? You better sleep on the couch tonight. <laughs> now, I hope nobody in this room is he, I mean, please say amen. No, but my husband would never do that. Oh, please say that. Please say I don't even know how to relate to that. Seven stages. How do you fix the problem? Let's walk through this real. Very important. And Jesus gives us the formula. This is how you fix the problem. So Jesus doesn't come out and say and point a finger and say, look, you got a problem. Okay? He says, look, you got a problem. I'm going to give you a solution how to fix this thing. How to get back on track with God and get in the favor of God here and what God is doing. Number one, remember. That's what the Bible says here in verse five. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. It's very obvious that there is, this isn't just a stub my toe thing. There's a falling that's involved in this somehow. Remember where you have fallen. Jesus is saying, look back to when he was first in our hearts, first in our lives. This is exactly what the prodigal did. He was knee-deep in hog slop. And the Bible says he remembered. Memory is powerful. He remembered. And he said in his heart, he says, you know, my father's servants have it better than this. I got to do something. I think of the words of Jamie, or I'm sorry, Jenny 
uh, Hussey's uh, hymn that comes to mind, beautiful hymn, Lest I Forget Gethsemane, Lest I Forget Thine Agony, Lest I Forget Thy Love for Me, Lead Me to Calvary. Ladies and gentlemen, I tell you what, in the life of any church, in any church, there are moments in which we simply need to go to score one again. Right back to the foot of the cross. Because that's where it started. Right back there. And once again, re-identify with a, with a living Savior who died on that cross for me, for you. So that we could walk in this world redeemed and function as children of God. We need to go to the cross. Don't allow your so-called spiritual sophistication to keep you from going back to that original, wonderful, freeing, exhilarating first love for Jesus. We must not. That's how you repair the damage. Remember the days when our love for him was the only thing that mattered. My God, it scares me to watch. And I think I used the right word. I'm so sophisticated, Pastor. I don't need to do that. I'm telling you, you are so far down the line that this message should strike you because that's the attitude in which you'll suffer. Remember, repent. Once we've recognized how far we've fallen, or even if we've fallen a step behind, doesn't really matter. We see the gap between the way things are today and the way things they used to be. We make a conscious decision to do whatever it takes to bring that relationship right back into line with Christ. Repent. And then... Third, resume. Love is an emotion, but something, but it is something that grows out of a, of a committed action. We can repent, and we need to change the trajectory of our spiritual life, and the time to do that is right now. Change the trajectory. On a snowy day, a cold day, ask God to turn up the heat in our life that we become red hot for him, sold out for him. Nothing else matters. Just living for Christ. I want you to note this and I want to close with this. Jesus issues a warning. He says, if you don't do this and you don't change your way, and you keep going down this pathway, he said, look, I'm going to remove your lamp from, your lamps, from, this lamps, uh, from this lamp stand. What does that mean? I want you to be real clear about this. He doesn't say, you're all going to go to hell. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, you're going to cease to be effective as a church. You're just going to be real estate on a corner out here or in town or wherever you're at. But you're going to cease to be effective as a witness for Christ you simply will not be effective Connie 
And that's important. That's important. Listen to me carefully. This is a message for us. All of these messages that you're going to hear, Pastor Russ is going to talk to you next week about the church at Smyrna, a church that was under intense persecution. Powerful message. Powerful word. Read these this week. Read them every week as we go on deeper into this series. Read them. And, 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 and as you do, apply them. Begin to apply them. Is this, is this applying in my life? Is this applied to our church here at Faith? How is this working in us? My God, don't sit back and say, that's not for me. That's not for me. Because if you do, if you do, you are being spoken to here by the word and you don't even know it. Repent. Resume. This is a message. And if a church has no love, whether you realize it or not, you don't either, you don't have a light either. Without love, you don't have a light. You don't have a light. Do not take this for granted. The work of the Holy Spirit is not a given. It is not a given. And I'm going to give you one quick illustration and then we're done. Samson. Samson's my illustration. Samson was playing it fast and loose with God. God had called him. God had given him a ministry. God had placed his spirit upon Samson. But he played it fast and loose all the way. And lying in the lap of Delilah, he said, I'll just go out and shake myself like before some little Holy Ghost dance. The Bible says he did not know that the spirit had left him. Folks, if that's shocking, he didn't know it. that the Spirit had left him. Stand with me, please. Ladies and gentlemen, I leave you with this. We can only be effective as we love one another. And I'm going to tell you something. I'm telling you this from years and years of experience. The older a church gets, the larger a church gets, the more difficult that is for everybody. Did you hear me? The more difficult it becomes. This isn't something that just comes natural. This is something you consciously do. People with your little grudges and your little tip for tat, knock it off. You're just hurting the church and yourself. You're the loser in this whole thing. Don't do it. Don't do it. Repent, resume, restore the white-hot relationship that can only come from Christ. Amen? Father, we thank you today for the word and the word which generates faith in our life, the word that, that sometimes it is a word that corrects, a word that speaks boldly into our lives, a word that sometimes we don't even really like to hear too much 
And yet it is a word that we must hear, as a word that a word that can heal, a word that can speak, a word that can, can, uh, can help us to grow and love one another. Father, I pray that you'll take this message and firmly implant it within our lives, within the community of faith here. Father, I pray that you'll touch people's lives, that you'll use this, you'll use this message as a spring for, springboard for that white-hot love for one another and for Christ most of all. So Father, I pray that you'll accomplish a tremendous thing through these messages that will be coming over the next few weeks. Father, may the Lord be blessed because he walks into a healthy church, a church that is wildly and fanatically in love with Jesus. Father, I pray let the words of our mouths, let the deeds of our hands be reflective of that kind of spirit. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Lift your hands to the Lord. Father, may the Lord bless and keep every person in this room. Father, may the touch of God be upon our families, in our lives, in our homes. May the touch of God follow us this week into our workplace. Father, may, may our lives be truly a witness, a brilliant witness unto Christ. Father, may the Lord make his face to shine into our hearts and be gracious. May your countenance rest in our, in our lives. Bring us joy in our hearts and victory in our walk. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. God bless you.